Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and moms around the world. All right, everybody. It's a, I'm going to say it's an er, it's early on Sunday morning. It's actually 10, like 40 a.m., but it feels early to me. <laughs> uh We've been pretty nocturnal these days with my—I can't say she's newborn much longer. I think you can say it for the first three months, right? So I get, like, just a tiny bit more time to say that. Um, I'm a little sleepy, but I'm excited because there's nothing more special to me than when I get to speak to a listener. Today, we are, we're focusing on rainbow babies— Last year, we did a podcast about pregnancy loss uh, with Dr. Jessica Zucker and also with midwife Georgina Blanchard. And if you haven't listened to that one, check it out. I'm going to re-release it later this week. Uh, And uh, Dr. Jessica Zucker is going to come back on in this episode to talk about having a child after her pregnancy loss, her own rainbow baby. And of course, October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So... We're dedicating this episode to all the atomic mamas out there who have endured the unimaginable, who have faced, you know, their darkest fears again, and who have celebrated and grieved in the same breath. First, I'd like to introduce you all to uh, a strong woman. She's a part of our podcast mom group. Erin first wrote me back uh, in April. Uh, Erin, thank you so much for doing this introduction with me. Thank you so much for having me, Ellie. And I just want to mention that October is also marks three years we lost our baby. Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think I can do podcast episodes all day long, but to to have you share this with me, you're giving voice to the experience. And I know how, uh, I don't know, I imagine how raw and private it is. I was telling you before we started recording that every week I have my own little freak out of like, why did I share? And and I say that on the show all the time. And my husband is uh, a very private person. I really, really want to thank you for spending this Sunday morning with us, especially because you've headed back to work. And that's how our conversation started on Facebook. You had so kindly written me saying that, you know, you had a five-year-old daughter and an eight-month-old, and so you had been uh, listening to the podcast and and you were adjusting to home life, you know, thinking that you were just taking it moment by moment about whether or not you'd go back to work. So congratulations on going back to work. Uh, thank you for writing me. And, and I'm curious about your, let's start off with, I'm curious about your experience now that now that you're back at work. Yes, it's been quite an adjustment, to say the least. Um, Our daughter started kindergarten this year, so it seemed like a nice transition for her, pretty easy because she's super self-sufficient now. And then our little one is 14 months now, and we put him in daycare, and it was the same daycare that our daughter had gone to. They have an infant center, so I felt good about it. But it's definitely been an adjustment. And now we're adjusting and doing pretty well. But initially, it felt 
like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? But now it feels good. So how long did it take to start feeling good for any mamas out there that are are contemplating this transition? (laughs) So he went back. I did a soft start in August. So I had family actually coming and helping and taking care of him, which was really great. And then I went back full-time in September and that's, he started daycare September 1st. So now we're in the middle of October. I would say that first month mm-hmm. what felt like a transition. So it really just recently started feeling like we're getting into the group of things and leaving him at daycare. And he is the sweetest little boy, uh, but he would, you know, scream and cry yeah. as I walked away. And that's the most heartbreaking thing, of course. And so I had those same moments that I think many moms, I'm sure, have when if they experience that of feeling, you know, just mixed emotions, but feeling horrible about walking away from your child. Was there anything that you would do to make yourself feel a little better in those moments after? Like, did you come up with any tricks or would you just turn on like NPR or something? Like, what what could you do? to be able to like refocus yourself for the workday after experiencing that? Initially, it was a little tough. So what I would do is the infant center has a door that closes and then I would wait in the main area and I could hear him crying and I would try to wait until he stopped crying so that I knew he was okay and then I would leave. And then he start, you know, and then the crying wasn't as bad after a little while as days passed. And so then I would leave, but I would always call and just check in and say, how is he doing? Or I'd run into a parent and a parent would text me. So there's great, you know, support system Mm -hmm. there where a parent would say, oh, don't worry about him. I was just there and he's all smiles. Oh my God, that's amazing. It was really that kind of thing that helped me. And I was so thankful, of course, like, thank you so much for texting me. And then I would just feel so much better. I never would have thought of doing that, like that there should be a parent list where you could text (laughs) each other like that. That's a great idea, especially for that age. Because as the kids get older, it's like there's birthday parties and stuff and you get to know the parents better. But I imagine, you know, when they're this little, that that's, it's harder to make those connections. That's, it must've been a relief to be like, oh, good. Oh, good. Like this other parent, like you guys are looking out for each other. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, because we're dedicating this episode uh, to Rainbow Babies, I'm curious about your relationship with your youngest. Can I start by clarifying about my loss a little bit? You can do whatever you want. <laughs> so I, as I mentioned, I had my loss in October of 2014 of a baby that was very much wanted. And... I had an abortion at 20 plus weeks gestation. And, you know, when you reached out to me, I felt the need to clarify that this was, you had mentioned an episode about rainbow babies. And I felt the need to clarify that, Ellie, I had an abortion. Are you sure I'm the person you want to talk to? And I really appreciate the support and offering a voice to this type of loss. So we had, when I was pregnant, the reason that we ended up having an abortion was that at the anatomy scan, we found out that our baby had several severe brain malformations. And of course, it was the most difficult decision um, that we've ever made. 
Yeah, and I and I want to say, Aaron, that when you messaged me asking, "Is it okay?" You know, do you know, basically saying, "Well, it was this type of pregnancy loss." You know, do you know? Are you okay with that for the show? I I don't think I've ever felt. Uh, ooh, we got it's it's so intense so fast. Um, I it made me so sad because it's like, of course. Of course, we want to uh, be witness to your story. Of course, this is something that so many mothers are going through. And for whatever reason, a mother needs to or chooses to, you know, we're here. Run your team. And I, it made me furious to also know that there are so many mothers out there who did want their pregnancy so badly and to have to sort of relive it today watching the news and listening to our president and it, it just like I'm uh my knee is like going up and down so fast right now um I guess I should just shut up and say like of course of course this is a podcast about all mothers journeys and I am so sorry. And I know that everyone listening would be so, so sorry that you had to endure this. So you had your first child already. And, and this is a question I asked Dr. Jessica Zucker as well. You know, you have your first child and then you endure this. When you became pregnant again, you must have had so many feelings all at once. I mean, because basically it's the best and the worst all together, I imagine. Yeah. So getting pregnant again was really a difficult thing, of course. I mean, to put it lightly, after the abortion, initially, I thought there was no way I would ever try to get pregnant again. Mm-hmm. I was healthy. I was my first with my daughter. And now that this had happened, along with the grief Mm -hmm. that I was experiencing, I also felt extremely guilty. I had chosen to end the pregnancy. And although, you know, it was, it's a gray area sometimes with some of these decisions that have to be made and that can make it even harder. I felt like that was a really hard thing to sit with. And to be okay with this gray area when you have to make a decision that that's that heavy. But I definitely, you know, thought, how could I ever even consider getting pregnant again? Because mm. I wanted our baby and, I, you know, that's not something that goes away. I still think about our baby all the time. Mm-hmm. And I sat with that pain and guilt and sadness. And I couldn't see those feelings changing. You know, it's true that people don't know, you know, what to say in times like this to help. But I think that at some point I had a shift in my thinking in terms of reaching out for support outside of my husband, who was my primary support system and some close family and friends. But it was really him. And so I finally thought, you know, I probably should talk to someone. And I reached out to a local support group that was held at in the evenings at a local hospital. 
Um, I went to a couple of sessions and they're great, but I just felt like it wasn't for me. There's just this weird feeling of being there. And this is a, this is a, a group for loss. So there could be people who experienced pregnancy loss, but a lot of the loss was stillbirth or birth shortly or death shortly after birth. And, you know, I was listening to these stories and people being so open and sharing and so raw in their own grief. And while I was also grieving, I, there was this whole thing. And I think it's because of that stigma around abortion of my loss is different than yours and doesn't, and in some ways doesn't feel as valid. (sighs) And I never got that sense from anyone there. Yeah, I was welcome, mm. but it was this internal feeling, and I and you know again, I'm so thankful that you would reach out to me because people go through this. Yes, and you know, with loss, a lot of people sit in their own silence, and this is just another thing on top of that is to stigmatize someone's loss like that, and for me to have those types of feelings, I think it was really sad. It's so, it's heartbreaking. Do you, when you watched like the women's march and like, or the protesters against the women's march Mm -hmm. and all this stuff, like, did you have, did it trigger anything for you personally? Were you like, wait, but you don't understand. I grew up in a pretty liberal family and, and in a diverse community. So that idea of choice was not something I ever struggled with of what I believed in. That being said, I never thought that I would necessarily go through that myself. And, you know, the Women's March and seeing all those women and people coming out, I, of course, that was amazing. We then had some more local marches around here. There was one after that that was in support of Planned Parenthood. And I showed up, you know, I Mm. went with some friends and I was there and it was more emotional for me Mm -hmm. because of my experience. And it just emphasizes that whole point of you don't know until you know, until you walk in someone's shoes, you really don't know what you're talking about. And it's not to say that, you know, people are going to have their strong beliefs. And on this issue, it is very polarizing. So I get that. But at the same time, you know, you don't really don't under, you don't know. So it is emotional for me, of course. Of course it is. So then, yeah, getting pregnant again, you know, I went to that. I was trying to seek some kind of help and that wasn't the most helpful for me. Yeah. I ended up actually um, taking a course on compassion. What? um, Erin, this is amazing. What? So wait, for real fast. Okay. So you go from... (laughs) Okay, so you found a support system through a hospital, which is I didn't even know about. So f- really fast. Yes. How did you find that? Just yes. online? I searched online. Okay, so yes. you searched online. You found that. It, it didn't work for you. You did a gut check. You're like, this is, I'm feeling Correct. more guilt and shame. Like, I need something else. Yeah. What made you think, like, okay, I'm going to uh, do a compassion workshop? I wasn't thinking about this compassion course in terms of helping me toward getting pregnant again or managing my grief or anything like that. 
it was kind of, at least at the time I thought it was something completely separate and I just thought it sounded cool. So it was in the evenings. My husband agreed to watch the kids, you know, one night a week for eight weeks. And I would go to this course and a large component of it was meditation, which I do yoga. So meditation, you know, seems close to that. And it's not something I could do on my own. So I thought, okay, I'll just try this and see how it goes. And it was a really, a really great course. Uh, what happened though, for me is one session was focused on self-compassion. Oh, it's so hard. Yes. And I didn't realize that. I was like, yeah, self-compassion. That's cool. Oh, of course, everyone so should feel compassion for themselves. Mm. Well, the the session started off with the instructor-led meditation on self-compassion and I broke down and it was really intense. And later that evening, I talked to an instructor and he's a therapist, which was great. I let him know that I had experienced a pregnancy loss and just kept it, you know, very short like that. And one thing that he said to me that stuck with me was about this idea of creating space within grief. He said, you know, that grief is so overwhelming that sometimes it's hard to breathe. It's hard to focus. Um, Just try to create a little bit of space. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it was about that, but that honestly helped so much over time. Just that idea of having a little bit of space and being able to be present with the grief and not ignoring it, not distracting yourself, but just to have some space in there to to breathe. And to, mm-hmm. um, and I and then from there, you know, I just time passed, and I always wanted a bigger family, and so did my husband, and we wanted our daughter to have a sibling. So I think that really that sibling factor also for our daughter was a driving factor in mm-hmm. us trying again. When you gave birth again, mm-hmm. how did, man, I'm like, it's hard for me to ask this question because uh, P.S. to new listeners, okay. I gave birth again in July and it was so intense. Um, mm-hmm. So, so intense. And uh, I'm wondering, how did you find the space in that moment to welcome this new beautiful being while also holding the space for the loss of your child? Um, That's a really good question. I have an amazing OB team. When I was pregnant uh, with the baby that I lost, I had an amazing OB who was present at during the termination procedure. She was not the one who performed the termination, but she was there. She, um, I don't remember the procedure itself. Mm -hmm. I didn't know she was there, but -hmm. she came to me afterward and she gave me a footprint of our baby. It wasn't something I asked for, but she was compassionate enough to do that. And with This last pregnancy with my son, she was my OB again, and she held my hand the whole way through that pregnancy. Um, Unfortunately, she was not the one to deliver him because she was on vacation. Of course. (laughs) Why does that always happen? 
I know. They should not be allowed to ever go on vacation. They should just take a year off every five years and do all their <laughs> vacations then because, oh man, I know. Mine went on a cruise. Like <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> You're not allowed to have a life. We're going to give a life. We're like creating a life here. <laughs> anyway, yes, go on. I was bummed. I was bummed, but she is amazing. And I yes. know that if she could have been there, she would have, oh, of yeah. course. Um, but I say OB team because there's another doctor and it was actually the provider who performed the termination. Wow. And she was the same provider who delivered my son. Wow. And she was, didn't have to do that for me, but she was there. And when I think about this OB team and people like them, I, all I can think about is how compassionate mm. to do that for me. And so bringing him into the world, I felt surrounded by people who cared so much. And yes, I still think about our baby who is not, who's not here. And sometimes when I look at my son, I do think about our baby, our baby who we lost. And I sometimes feel those, feelings of guilt or the what ifs and all of that. I, you know, I think those things just naturally come up for me. Um, but overwhelmingly, I just feel so incredibly fortunate that I get to be a mom again. Aaron, what are you going to do today? Like, tell me one fun thing. Tell me you're going to like eat a gallon of ice cream after this conversation. <laughs> what is like, what, what does your family do when you need to just like let it all out um, and go back into like silly fun mode? Like, what do you do? Is there like, can you give me one embarrassing thing you do? Because I'm starting to think that I live... Uh, on a funny farm. Like our house is so crazy, but it's like, those are the moments that I'm like, okay, everything's okay. Cause uh, my daughter is running around only in a superhero mask and her underwear and making, and I'm yelling at her about like, stop making fart jokes. Like, but those are the little moments that I live oh, for. Yeah. What, tell yeah. me, tell, tell me something. <laughs> that is, yes. Sounds like our life here just different ages, but it doesn't okay. change. It doesn't oh, no. get like, I'm like relieved easier, and also right? mortified. Changes. Okay. <laughs> our kids are complete nuts. Um, <laughs> my husband was gracious enough to take them out this morning so that we could talk. So they're at the farmer's market right now. Oh, that's so sweet. And then I'll probably go and meet them and we'll just spend some time out and about. But no, the, my our kids are super high energy. So, um, <laughs> having them in the house for any period of time is kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so. Thank you for sharing this and know that at 3 a.m., if you wake up like I do and you're like, oh, why did I share that? Just know that there are so many moms listening right now that are like, yes, me too, me too, me too. And um, this is so crazy, but I just started a Facebook group. It's like a private page. I have like a question like when you sign in so that only Atomic Moms listeners can like join the group. So I know it's like a good safe space. And so moms out there, if you'd like to share your experience as well or or what this conversation might have meant for you, let's share on there. I think it's a good space. And uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are so 
awesome and courageous. And thank you for just like reaching out about not this topic at all, but just to be like, hey, I'm home and um, this podcast is helping me like, you know, stay sane. I appreciate that because I feel like I'm going crazy. (laughs) This is like the newborn mom talking. Thank you so much, Ellie. (laughs) And I honestly think you're amazing for doing your podcast with having such a young one. I think it's really a challenge just mentally to go through pregnancy and then try to quote unquote bounce back into work and you're doing an amazing job obviously but no well don't beat yourself up yeah I was about to be like no I'm not what is wrong with me thank you I'm learning to take compliments I'm like I don't think I made one coherent sentence in this whole conversation but guess what everybody that's not oh see I'm gonna throw myself under the bus again I'm just going to say that the, the magic of this show is it's not about what I'm saying. It's about what you all say and uh, and what I'm, you know, I just have the drive to put it out there. That's my special skill, right? It's like just being able to receive y'all's awesomeness and put it out. And uh, I'll keep doing that because that's what feels really good. Um, thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody, we'll be right back. Dr. Jessica Zucker is back with us today on Atomic Moms. She is a Los Angeles-based psychologist and writer specializing in women's reproductive and maternal mental health. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, BuzzFeed, Time, New York Magazine, PBS, and so much more. You are a one busy lady. Uh, She has been (laughs) featured on Good Morning America, CNN, and NPR, and she has a background in public health. She's worked internationally for several years and incorporates this in her work and writing. And she earned advanced degrees at New York University and Harvard. And she has two children. I just found out one, uh, her son is nine and her daughter is four, just like my little Sabrina. Almost. And almost four. You're right. In December. Happy almost birthday. Um, And, you know, she is, I'd say, the leading crusader of getting the message out there that women who have experienced miscarriage aren't alone and shouldn't be ashamed. And Mm. she experienced her own miscarriage at 16 weeks. And to bring everyone up to speed who has not listened to our previous episode together, in 2014, she started the I Had a Miscarriage hashtag campaign with an essay in the New York Times. Um, And so this has been like a crazy ride, right? Like you're a psychologist who has also shared your own personal stories with the world. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is wild to think back to the previous me, previous Mm -hmm. lost me, um, you know, that I specialized in women's reproductive and maternal mental health before experiencing, you know, a 16 week miscarriage myself. And, it really has been, you know, one of the most life-changing, transformative experience of my life. Um, but and in the most sort of profound and important ways as well, because it, it changed my work from the inside out. I mean, how could it not? You know, now, now I understand so much more about the emotional aspects that my patients are sharing with me. Um, you know before it was sort of a theoretical understanding and now uh, now unfortunately unfortunately I understand it in such a real and 
you know, salient way. Mm -hmm. Before I became a mother, I had never heard of the phrase rainbow baby. And now, you know, you see it on Instagram. Oh my God, you have these beautiful shirts of a rainbow that say, (laughs) is it mama? And then there's one that says babe. They're so darling. Can you share a little bit about like where that term came from? Like when did... Sure. Yeah. Can you give us a little yeah, bit of the history? So basically, yeah. I mean, I mean, the the simple answer is, you know, a rainbow baby is a baby that follows loss. So that could be through, you know, one's own pregnancy. It could be through surrogacy. It could, you know, a baby could come through adoption, all different avenues. But basically, it's really just a way to honor the fact that women's reproductive lives can be very complicated and that we shouldn't, you know, um, try to minimize that because I, I think, you know, we live in a culture where we're so much more comfortable talking about good news. And so, yes, if this person's having a baby now, that's terrific, but there is no reason for us to ignore the fact that she had a stillbirth and that that baby was a part of her life for the time that it was. So I created the shirts, um, in 2015, with the hope of sparking intergenerational conversations about pregnancy loss and about reproductive journeys more generally. So my hope was that women would turn to their sisters and their mothers and their aunts and their grandmothers to ask them about, you know, what have you gone through? Because if we think that this is such a silent topic in this generation, we can only imagine how much more quiet things were in previous generations. So you know, it's, it, it says a lot about a family, you know, the family structure, the family shape, the family dynamic, if there has been loss and a rainbow baby, for example, might be, you know, cherished in a different way because the person fought so hard to get the baby or the the mother could have been struggling with intense anxiety through the pregnancy. And it's just, it's interesting and important to note these things because of what women go through in their lives. I would like to start off by asking you a listener question. So thank you to our listener, Sarah, for having such a thoughtful question. Uh, I'll read it to you now. It's She wrote, During my first pregnancy, after my husband and I found out that our son had a very serious neural tube defect, we decided to do the most difficult thing and say goodbye to our child. A few months later, I am now pregnant with a healthy baby, and I am so grateful to have the chance to be a mother again. However, the guilt, sadness, and fear caused by what happened last time are stopping me from truly enjoying this new pregnancy, from connecting to my baby and being fully present. What is your advice to new parents who are preparing for the arrival of a new baby while dealing with so many fears and feelings? Well, first of all, I just want to say that there isn't a woman out there who, um, you know, has experienced a later loss or a, a medical termination like she did who who cannot relate to what she's saying. I mean, it's like the anxiety and the fear and the inability to be fully present in a subsequent pregnancy is, is ubiquitous because, you know, it's... Pregnancy is long. Pregnancy is hard. And there's so much, you know, I mean, it can be hard when, when, especially when you've gone through something traumatic. And so there's just so much going on in your body that you don't really know about. Um, and, and so if you, 
if you lose a baby that you think is healthy or you find out later in a pregnancy it's not healthy or whatever it is, it just becomes so challenging to really believe that then the future pregnancies are going to be just fine. Um, so really like my, I guess the most important piece of advice I would say is really to just be gentle with yourself, you know, that this is totally normal, that it's so expectable. Um, and, you know, I believe that once the baby arrives, there's plenty of time, hopefully a lifetime together, um, to attach and bond and hopefully, you know, the anxiety dissipates once the baby is actually crying in your arms. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I mean, that that is not always the case. I mean, you know, I I was incredibly anxious in my pregnancy following my loss. And, you know, I realize now looking back that even within the first six months of my daughter's life, I, I was struggling in a way that I just, I didn't realize until you know, retrospect, basically. Um, And it wasn't that I was like afraid necessarily that something was going to happen to her. But I just I think that like my between the hormones and the fear that I had lived with for so long, it was just hard to settle back into my myself. Mm -hmm. I imagine it could be very difficult uh, interacting with other people who man, especially in this culture, we're just all, you know, it's just the whole, like, even if you have a traumatic birth experience, it's like, well, but you got the baby or now it'd be like, you're pregnant again. Like, isn't that wonderful? And in feeling, I imagine that it could feel like these people are trying to celebrate, but they're not giving me any room for what's my actual experiences of this. Well, and what I have discerned over time is that um, I actually think it's because loved ones are so afraid to really sink into how painful and scary and vulnerable this really is. And so it's much easier for us to just say something like, yay, see, you're getting your baby. Everything's healthy. Everything's fine. You're young or all these, you know, platitudes or whatever that people spout without really thinking about how they're going to land on the, you know, ears and the hearts of these women who have struggled. And, you know, I write a lot about the fact that rainbow babies are not, they don't replace anything. You know, yes, if we're lucky enough, we go on to have a healthy child, but in no way does that sort of make up for or fill a void of the lost baby or child. It just, it, it shouldn't and it won't. I've been thinking about how my daughter, Sabrina, who's four, like I saved a lot of her things for Eliza, who is uh, 12 weeks. And I just how I take it for granted. It's like, oh, that was Sabrina's and now it's Eliza's. And it's hard to talk about this subject at all because I feel like every mother obviously has such a different experience, but is... When mothers use those items that were saved for the baby Mm. who didn't come, like, can that be a cathartic experience or would you suggest not doing that? Again, I know that it's, it's, I'm struggling because it's such, you know, I'm sure it's just a person by person thing, but. 
I think that's such an interesting question. No, I think people really do struggle with these kinds of things. And, and that's, that's the thing. It's like so many details can be triggering or can spark, you know, memories or can lead somebody to go into a dark place or a joyous place, whatever it may be. It's like, we just don't know. So using something that they bought for the previous baby may feel really wonderful. Like, oh, you know, this has the sentiment of the brother you would have had or the sister would, you know, or it could send somebody maybe into a tailspin because it's like, oh my goodness, like what I've lived through, what I've lost, you know, the way I love now. I mean, it, it, I do think that for a lot of women, depending on the circumstances of their loss, you know, you live and you love so differently afterward. Can you speak a little more about that? You know, just in that, like, we can, we take things for granted. I mean, we, we sort of have to, right. In order to get through our lives, you know, if we thought Mm -hmm. everything was so um, vulnerable and precious 24 hours a day, it would be hard to, to keep going. But I think that when you lose something longed for, you know, your life lens shifts and you come to loving relationships, I think, with a different outlook and maybe a different sort of appreciation or sensitivity that maybe you wouldn't have previously. How do you protect your child? Um, So if I... Uh, had a rainbow baby and you know obviously I would celebrate and love her but there would always be that uh, feeling of longing and loss I imagine how do I uh, protect her from carrying around that shadow Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the sibling that she never got to meet I think yeah it's a complicated thing um that is so individual because, you know, for example, if, if the person had a stillbirth and then had another child, they may want to raise that child sort of knowing about the stillbirth baby, you know, and so really sort of including that baby in their lives and in whatever way they can, you know, through pictures maybe or through memorializing, um, celebrating birthdays or going to um, you know, I don't know, the cemetery, something. I, I don't, I'm not sure. So it, it, it's, um, it's challenging to answer this question because somebody I think that has maybe an earlier loss, like a six-week loss, may not feel that they can integrate that pregnancy into the future because it's like, oh, they may minimize it. Like, oh, well, I was just, it, it happened so early. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's whatever. Um you know, I don't feel I don't feel I carry a shadow um, into my relationship with my daughter, with my rainbow baby. I feel like I look at her in awe in a way that I didn't with my son because I took it so for granted because that pregnancy was so easy and and smooth and whatever. So I just sort of look at her like, wow, how, what, like if the other baby would have been here, you wouldn't be here. You know, it's more, I get like kind of philosophical about it. Um, 
And I think I probably bring a little bit more anxiety to her, you know, climbing on a table (laughs) or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, things that I, I may not have worried as much about with my son. Um, just like, which really sort of underscores, I guess, my, um, recognition of fragility just in life, not her fragility, but just the, you know, that, that life is temporary. Um, yeah, but I think, I mean, I think that's an important question. It's really hard to answer it because you're right. I mean, if, if somebody, for example, goes into a depression and doesn't, you know, get treatment for it and then has another child, I could see how there would be this kind there could be this, um, layer, you Mm -hmm. know, like a cloud layer that kind of comes around, um, with everybody and may impact the way that that child is raised. Do you have any advice for mothers who, let's say that they're heading towards that stage of pregnancy where they experience their loss? God, I just, Mm, I I think about a mother going to the OBJN or to do that, the testing again, or even to go to the hospital and um, just get like that, that would be so triggering that you're basically following the same path again. And you're really, really hoping for, you know, not such a, not a devastating outcome. Like I just, I, I, I'm blown away by how strong mothers are. Like I cannot, I can't wrap my head around the fact that you all are able to experience the worst thing imaginable and still go through the process again and and love that hard. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. I know. It is. And I, I think like for me anyway, it's like a part of me, I think had to shut down a bit because it's it, to live so raw, you know, full time. It just, it's exhausting um, to, to live with such fear. I mean, I, yeah, I searched for blood every day, you know, until until my baby was born basically. So yeah, I was, I was pretty um, caught up in thinking that something could go wrong because the other thing is once you become a statistic, so we always hear of statistics, whether it's, you know, cancer or pregnancy loss, you know, all of these things, car accidents until it happens to you, there's a way in which we, you know, guard against thinking that it ever would happen to us. And then once you become a statistic, you're sort of like, oh, wait a second. Yes. Anything is possible, maybe, you know, and we, we always sort of know that on some level. But again, to function in the world, we have to be in some amount of denial to to keep on going. So, yeah, I, I, I had heard so many stories in my work that when I was pregnant with my son didn't peak my anxiety. I didn't get, I wasn't concerned. And after my loss and then in my subsequent pregnancy, I I couldn't help but remember every single story I had ever heard and just thought, well, any of those things could happen now, you know? If we really think about it, like every step of this journey is so precarious. It really is. So, 
uh, now that I've made us all really freaked out, <laughs> Dr. Zucker, can you give us a couple? I would love a couple tools for how to be gentle with ourselves. And then I want to talk about your new campaign. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the tools are really about catching your mind when it goes to really dark places, right? So it's sort of like, oh, I feel guilty I'm not bonding. I feel guilty that I'm pregnant now with a healthy baby and, you know, I lost that other one or, um, you know, I don't feel excited. Like I genuinely mm-hmm. don't feel that excited. I know I want a child, but I can't connect to it. I don't feel like this is really going to happen. And I think it's like really just trying to ground down and say, you know, and, and like really try to temper that with a gentle, loving mantra, which would be something like, what you're feeling is completely normal and it's okay to feel this disconnect during pregnancy. You know, um, you won't feel this way the entire time probably. And things will be very, very different when you realize that the baby is alive and well, and you can really begin the relationship. Um, because I think there's a little bit too much, pressure on women to bond in pregnancy. And I know there's some research out there that that talks about the importance of that. But, you know, when you think about the amount of reproductive troubles women have had and how many people are still very connected to their parents, um, I, I just think it's so much more important to focus on the fact that, like, you're taking care of yourself, you're doing the best that you can, and that you have a lifetime to be close to this little person that you will soon meet. Oh, I think that's so important. I'm so glad you said that. I think it will help a lot of mothers listening help shed that guilt. Yeah. How great if we could just be like, you know what, wherever you are is okay. It's okay. Totally. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, women are having pregnancies and babies in like true war-torn horrible places and situations so and so it's we're not we should not expect ourselves to be blissed out peaceful (laughs) meditating and yoga all day every day I mean that's just not no the reality for most people no. and and that's okay. I mean, we can have beautiful, strong, intelligent children uh, despite our anxiety or despite our, our preoccupation during gestation. We really can. When I have a girlfriend who uh, announces that she is pregnant and if I know that she has suffered pregnancy loss in the past what can I say uh, or do I say anything? Yeah. I mean, I think it's best to, for us to not assume how somebody's feeling. I mean, in life in general, but particularly around these types of sensitive topics. So I would say, you know, if she's saying, I'm so excited to share this with you. So you're, you know, then if you're excited with her, that's wonderful. And then if you want to say, Um, does this stir up any feelings about your loss or, you know, if you want to talk to me about anything that's happened before, I'm here to talk about it. 
And it's so individual because some people would be like, oh, no, I just, I don't even want to focus on that. I just want to look forward. I want to focus on good things. And other people would be like, oh yeah, like, I'm so appreciative that you even acknowledge that I went through that. I still think about it all the time and I'm totally terrified in this pregnancy because of it. So, you know, it's, it's the whole like range of feelings women can have and we don't know until we ask. Okay. So your new campaign. This chapter of the campaign really focuses on the idea that, or it really questions the the age old notion of waiting to share pregnancy news until we're quote unquote out of the woods. So for, for those of us who have experienced later loss, uh, stillbirth or infant loss, we know there's no such thing as out of the woods anyway. That's one. And two, when you really think about this construct, uh, it, the statement actually kind of says something more like, probably don't share your good news in case it becomes bad news, because if it becomes bad news, then you don't have to share your bad news. So, you know, approximately 80% of losses happen within the first trimester something. And so the, the statistics make sense, right? right. Hedge your bets. Like you don't, I mean, but, but why my, my question is why, why? Because culture is so uncomfortable with grief. So it's like, so be silent now. So don't share your joy because if it becomes sad news, then you'll have to share your sad news. Well, don't we all need support? no matter the outcome of our pregnancies. Mm-hmm. So whether we're joyous and it stays that way, great. And if we're excited and then we have bad news, we definitely need those shoulders to cry on or to lean on or to whatever. So that's the focus of, of this chapter of the campaign. And basically I um, collaborated with some artists to illustrate these points. Um, and they're available free of charge, downloadable in my online shop. And I wanted to do that because I really love the idea that women can use these as sort of like, you know, mantras, or they can use them to educate people in their families or their loved ones, or even their healthcare providers, um, and, and use them hopefully for inspiration because what we're trying to do, I mean, the campaign in general, the, the central focus is really to shift the silence, the stigma, and the shame associated with pregnancy and infant loss. And until we do that, women are going to continue to report feeling isolated, alienated, and alone. And it, it's not, this isn't a disease state. It's not like there are some scientists right now working on a cure for miscarriage. It's not going to happen. So the sooner we get comfortable talking about this very difficult topic, the better off we're all going to be. Well, everybody go to Dr. Jessica Zucker's website. She has so many resources for us. DrJessicaZucker.com. Definitely uh, follow her Instagram account. I had a miscarriage. Thank you so much for coming back on. Uh, I really, really appreciate Everything that you're doing for the mama community, I mean, again, everyone follow her Instagram. It's a daily, on a daily basis, you are uh, putting out the message and supporting mothers around the world. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And it's such an honor to be back. I was so happy to hear from you again. Your, Your podcast is incredible. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. So listeners, until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on Atomic Moms.